0: Welcome to the menopause mindset podcast, the place to get some answers and feel supported along this often a bumpy journey. Many people sail through menopause, but many people don't. And so my guests and I are here to motivate you and inspire you so that you can make menopause a happier transition for yourself and for your loved ones. I'm Sally Garozzo, an award-winning clinical hypnotherapist a menopause educator, and I can't wait to share my passion about wellness and how we navigate these changes and transitions. So come on then, let's dive in. So my guest today is Victoria Hardy, aka Ginge Unhinged. Victoria is a speaker and author with a funny, empowering and honest Instagram account where she gets noisy about women's health, particularly menopause and mental health. Victoria is a brave soul because she wants to help people feel less alone by being vocal about the stuff we are not supposed to talk about. So Victoria, welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Noticing your Christmas tree behind you, you're all ready for Christmas. What's the deal? yeah I, I take the chill out approach
1: mince pies for dinner mace nights leading up <laughs> like just the pressure off
0: I love yeah. it I, I saw your story yesterday and I was like I love that you were you were you were. did you go to Sainsbury's and then just like abandon ship just think fuck this I'm not doing this
1: absolutely it was absolute chaos I just I wanted to stand there and scream like calm
0: down everyone yeah. just be present this
1: week like just enjoy it
0: yeah we're not even the there yet that's the thing presence awareness i love it sometimes it's not possible but actually sometimes it's quite good to just access a little bit of presence in those moments so yeah thank you for sharing that honestly i feel like i feel like your instagram account is so relatable i i love all the things that you i mean i haven't had a surgical menopause and um, we'll get to that in a in a minute but just how real you are I just recently was cracking up uh, just now before we came on cracking up at your one with the Bacardi bottle (laughs) 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 puberty menopause zero puberty one talking about your teenagers calling you bruv or something I love that so funny so listen Victoria let's talk about your story and let's circle back to the very beginning when you started your periods and what life was like for you during those early days? So
1: yeah, thank you. I started my periods um, early teens, um, and not the ideal situations. Orton Towers with my brother, Summer's Day, white jeans. It was the nineties, and nobody talked about it then. Um, least of all my mum. She she wouldn't mind me saying that after having three boys. So I was completely. Um, not unaware of what was going to happen but I wasn't prepared for that time Um, and it was the most horrendous experience and my period started extremely heavy from the get-go and there was no let up really throughout my teenage years. I would experience you know bleeding so heavy that I'd just be on the toilet for hours I had to excuse myself from classes and try and make excuses and getting out of PE and all of the things that I'm sure many girls um, do experience. But the pain was just so excruciating. Um, And it was back and forth, back and forth to the doctors um, throughout, really, and just being told it's a painful period. Um, You know, this is what girls experience. And then to the other extreme of people trying to help, but then almost not helping in the way that I was dealt with. Because at the, that time, there was very little research into what I was experiencing, which was
0: endometriosis. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that's a lot, isn't it? Did Did you feel understood when you went, when you were having like debilitating period pains and when you went to the doctors, did you feel understood or did you just feel cast aside really?
1: I think I just I felt like when you're that age and you're going to the doctors alone it was very shameful for me um I went to family planning clinics and the doctors as well trying to get help and I did a lot of it on my own and I think you just put the trust into the GPs at the time you don't know any different you're you're a kid and as as women many of us do it now we of course we put our trust in them um, but yeah, I didn't feel like I was being heard in just how much pain I was in and how heavy the bleeding was. And I just got this sense of, am I a freak? Like, why are my friends being able to do anything like everything? And I was just hiding so much. Um, and it was really stopping me doing the things that I loved, like gymnastics and yeah, going out and doing all of those things. So, not to be listened to in, you know, saying, I'm hours on the toilet I'm going through pad after pad having to wear double and a tampon you know like it was just no no that's you know normal and period pains are normal.
0: It's funny how it's normalized isn't it like it, it just doesn't make sense to me because after having read a bit about it and then you know it worked on improving my my internal health as well my gut health my li- liver health I can see how I do actually feel better when um, I'm I'm a bit more healthy on the inside and less stressed on the inside I'm not saying that 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 would have prevented endometriosis but it's like we don't get the full picture when we go to um, the doctor I don't yeah I don't know why that is but can you just explain to people what endometriosis actually is? Yeah, sure.
1: So a lot of people think that it is um, a kind of uterus or womb condition that affects the ovaries or reproductive health only. So it's essentially the uh, cells that are very similar to the lining of the womb that grow in places that they shouldn't be growing. So historically, it was always thought that this is just reproductive areas. Um, But actually, we now know that it's whole body disease and it can affect women. Uh, there was actually an article that came out yesterday around um, a woman that had a collapsed lung. Um, it can actually affect um and grow in parts of the brain and it's um it's untreatable. It there's there's nothing so or, or there's not anything that can not treat it. It's incurable. So it's lifelong um at the moment they don't have a cure for it. And with mine, uh, mine grew not only around my uterus and my ovaries, my tube, it was also my cervix, up my spine, my bowel, and heading up towards uh, the back of my lung.
0: Wow. So were you in full body pain while you were experiencing it? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was. It was um, pain that I would get numbness down my legs. I wouldn't be able to feel my right leg, back pain, Um all you know all up my spine obviously around in my uh, pelvic area was the worst uh, place for me but it would also affect things like migraines um and memory um as well which actually i probably didn't realize at the time until now when i'm looking back and all the research is saying oh, and i'm like oh yeah tick 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 all of those things but yeah the pain was uh, horrific and of course then pain painful sex um, pain going to the toilet, it can get confused with irritable bowel quite easily yeah. uh, because of the pain and the um, bowel symptoms that you can experience. Um, so yeah, it was it was ebbs and flows in between all the operations that I had of just bouts of horrific pain. then I'd feel okay and then the pain would come back.
0: So is it pain only during your period or is it pain constantly through your cycle? So
1: for me, it was pain constantly uh, through my cycle. It can um, increase at around ovulation time. Some women find it eases off actually during periods because your body is releasing, um, obviously, excess. Um, but it's also important to remember that endometriosis can you can be absolutely riddled with endometriosis and have no pain. Or you can have the tiniest amount of endometriosis and have excruciating pain. So it's a really varying disease. And that's why there's just so much more research that needs to be done.
0: Am I right in thinking it takes around eight years for someone to get diagnosed with endo? Yes,
1: the average is now um, around seven and a half years in the UK for somebody to be diagnosed. Wow, um, it's just too
0: long. It's just too too long. Yeah. My heart goes out to you. I mean, I know what period pains like. I've had horrible period pains. I've been in hospital with period pain when I was fifteen uh, with um, a burst ovarian cyst, and that was just mm-hmm. horrid pain. But yeah, if you're experiencing that all the time, like I literally want to cry for you. I, I just feel how do how do you deal? How did you deal with that level of pain, like psychologically?
1: So the, the burst cyst, it's interesting because I had 12 ruptured cysts. So yeah. I know exactly the pain that you experienced. And the um, endo pain can be very similar when it's full blown. I always describe it as, um, you know, I've now had two children, um, very blessed to, But that's like full blown labor pain was what I was experiencing before. How did I deal with it? I At times I didn't. Um, my body, I would faint, I would be sick. Um, and then there were other times where I managed it with exercise I really focused into leaning into the pain I did this a lot unconsciously and I think it's been on reflection i I do ask myself that question how did I manage to go through all of those years still going to work still working with the general public and then walking myself off to a like I did <laughs> with a twisted fallopian tube and a huge cyst on my Avery. um I I think I just must have pulled into some sort of resilience or had a very high pain threshold um but lots of pain medication so much pain medication that it just was numb really like in it was ineffective I say um, bottles just yeah you do what you can
0: yeah, and I think the mind is incredibly adaptive as well when we're experiencing a lot of pain. I remember when I had um, herniated disc on my back and I was in sort of like level 10 pain for like six weeks of, mm-hmm. ah! <laughs> um, and eventually, strangely enough, the 10 goes down to an 8, the 8 goes down to a 6. Nothing's changed. Like it's still there. I was still dis- um, not disfigured but bent over because I couldn't stand up straight. Um yeah, it's odd how you get used to it. Like I have tinnitus, really quite badly, um, and it, it it I don't hear it. It's like it's there, but it doesn't affect me. I've got so used to it being part of my reality. Um, yeah. What's it like to talk about this? I mean, this is a lot of pain that you were in. Are you okay talking about it, or does it sort of bring stuff up for you about that that child? or the teenager?
1: I am okay talking about it I feel like I've talked about it so much um, and then alongside obviously the next chapter of surgical menopause I think with the earlier years of endometriosis um, and then I was diagnosed with adenomyosis um, as well on top which is they kind of call it the sister or, or cousin disease. It gets similar to endo, but it gets into the muscles. So that causes pain also. I think when I look back at those early diagnoses, I look back and think I'm very lucky that I was diagnosed actually quite young because my life could have been very different if I wasn't. But it always brings up something. I always have a reflection after I do a podcast or somebody interviews me. Because there's always that memory that I haven't quite tapped into yet because it it felt so long ago, but it's still relevant to my story and where I am now. So, yeah, it's mixed feelings. I think I always like to talk about it. Any awareness is good, but also I always have to have a little reflection and think, oh my goodness, yes, that happened. Or did I blank that out for some reason? Um, So, yeah, I always ask those questions afterwards.
0: Yeah, because it, it, you're touching difficult feelings, you know, when you're talking about it, you're touching grief, sorrow, loss, pain. Um, and, and every time you talk about it, you're sort of revisiting that um, with it through mm-hmm. a different lens as well, depending on who you're talking to. So, yeah, I, I just really appreciate you for for sharing your story and going there. So fast forward a little bit and how did the hysterectomy come about then?
1: Yeah, so I had um, so many procedures for the endometriosis and adenomyosis, um, 18 in total. My body was really, really tired. I'd managed to have my two children and for a little while, I was doing okay, and I sort of went into my thirties thinking, "This is it," you know, "We've got the stuff together, my shit is together, like we're the adulting bit," you know, the the, and then the pain just, came started to come back again, um, and it was really tenfold. I was really getting this numbness in my legs and at my back, which I was quite worried about, but the main concern was my bowel, so I was getting lots of bowel issues. And I went to see a consultant, they did an MRI scan, which was the first time I'd ever had an MRI scan, um, really to check what was happening, because you can't see endometriosis on any other scan, um, unless it's very, very bad on an MRI. And he wanted to check on my bowel, and the endometriosis um, was, was everywhere. And my uterus was touching my spine. So we kind of looked at that and I had to go through that thought process of, okay, this generally means no more children or children would be dangerous. I already had two premature babies anyway. And I really wanted to save my bowel was the answer. Gotcha. Um, he ran some tests, um, did some blood tests, looked at how things were changing and cells were changing and just said, you know, you're at risk of probably three cancers if you keep this together um what do you want to do and I was like let's get it all out um and yeah and then we we went for it we went on solidex which was six months of a medical menopause which they never told me was a medical menopause uh I just said your hair might fall out and you might get some hot flushes and I was like okay
0: was this Um, before sorry was this before the um operation or after
1: yes Yeah. So they put me into medical menopause for six months to prepare my body for the operation. So to try and dull down the bleeding, the internal bleeding. And he said to almost tidy things up really. Um, And that really worked actually, because the operation was a really clean operation. It was a fairly um, good, well, not easy, but a a good operation for the, the consultant to do. And Yeah. And then obviously I had the full hysterectomy. So I had my remaining ovary removed. I'd already had one taken out, tube, um, uterus and my cervix as well. So everything out. And then of course, woke up and in this thing called surgical menopause. But obviously I didn't realise it was surgical menopause at the time because nobody sat me down and said those words.
0: So how long ago was this? Was this before the menopause narrative exploded?
1: Yeah so I had my hysterectomy in 2017 at the end of 2017
0: so not that long ago not really no, not that long like long. we should have known no better really
1: yes absolutely and I mean I'd like to say that with the menopause narrative that we're further along but we're not really not in hysterectomy care it's <clears throat> it's very new and far between on my social media when I share something that somebody will pop up and say, I had the full wraparound care, my consultant was amazing, I got a, a menopause specialist, I received all the information, my HRT options. That is must be probably one in 2,000 comments that I get on, um, on TikTok, for example, of, of women that are just saying exactly the same, it's still happening now. They go in, have the operation, and then they're just left.
0: It's unthinkable. It's just unthinkable. Knowing what we know about menopause. Um, So you didn't get any HRT, is that right, when you came out of surgery? So I did get HRT, but I got a box of pills. So
1: I just got medication. So it was, this is your medication. You will probably need to take this for the next 20 years. Um, And here's a leaflet how to poo and don't lift more than a kettle. And all of the other things that are the recovery stage. So I never made the connection of HRT, hormones, that there's lots of different choices, that there will be tweaks, that I will need to be reviewed, that I should have a menopause specialist Um there was that I should have progesterone because I had an, you know, I have endometriosis. So there was none of that. It was literally like, so I was just like, obviously you're coming out of hospital. You've just been through this thing. You're like, okay, off I go. And, and, and yeah. And of course people say to me, what did you think would happen? Like your, your ovaries have been removed. What do you think would happen? And I just said, I, I don't know. I, nobody was talking about menopause then. I wasn't taught at school. My mum didn't teach me. Um, I knew what menopause was. But of course, like everyone, ladies in your 50s, you know, like, this wasn't a connection that I made at the age of 33.
0: No, you just don't necessarily relate it to those organs as well. You you relate it to something in the brain or something else in the body. You don't, actually make that association if no one's explicitly told you um mm-hmm. why would you think of that I think it's totally forgivable that, that you wouldn't make that association so what happened after that did you hit some kind of uh, mental health crisis yes uh like a brick wall really the the symptoms... I
1: started to experience straight after surgery were very physical, but I put those down to post surgery, um, hot flushes, night sweats, my joints ached. Um, And actually, I had physio after my surgery, and my physiotherapist um, was like, Oh, you're feeling all of this pain now that has probably been in your body for years, but you didn't realize it because the other pain was so consuming. So, oh, this backache is probably an old injury or these knee and leg aches. So I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. It's plausible. Um, It's plausible, of course. But um, then I would get sort of, uh, you know, quite ragey. The the moods would go up and down um, and started to feel quite anxious about things that I never felt anxious about. But the focus was always get back to work, get fit and healthy to get back to work, which is what I did. Once I was back, um, I just realized that I couldn't quite get to everything anymore. My brain wasn't working like it did before the surgery. I was very fatigued, lethargic. I ran on the morning of my surgery. I was very fit into my fitness before, just couldn't quite grasp everything. And my confidence just massively dropped. Um, And I just felt like, I always describe it, like I felt like I lost my voice. And I think that all started to kind of pile up and I just slowly slipped into such a darkness of not feeling like I belonged anywhere. I felt like my life was fake. I was trying to be the yes person and just behind was like this person trying to paddle backwards and I just didn't want to be here, didn't want to be here anymore Um, And, yeah, I went into depression. Um, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety after um, a day in the car um, that I have talked about before, driving my kids to school, where um, I just describe it as I didn't want to press the brakes. Mm. I just didn't – I couldn't feel anything, couldn't feel – I remember it being November, the the sun was low, but I didn't want to close my eyes, you know, squint to see the, the road. I just felt completely numb. And the boy kind of shouted from the back, and I braked and got them to school, luckily. Drove home, made a call, and I was on the phone for about two hours, just yeah. offloading how I felt. Um, wow. And I... With
0: depression. Okay. So, what was it that made you make that call? Because that's so important, isn't it? That moment in time. I mean, did you, because w- when we're depressed, we can't really do anything. It's hard to do anything Mm. productive or proactive for ourselves or to, you know, make that decision to do that thing that we need to do. I remember being Mm. depressed once thinking, Oh God, I've got to go over to Asda to get some vegetables. I've just been living on crap for like two weeks. And just the thought of going to Asda was an absolute nightmare, but I I managed to, to do it. So in that moment where you were just like, Oh, how did you muster the energy?
1: I get asked that a lot. Um, It's quite an emotional one for me because I don't know if I have a real answer because I think when you're in that moment, you're just, like you said, you're in that moment. I just knew I had to get the children to school. Um, I took a very slow drive home. I don't really remember the drive home, if I'm honest. And I just knew... I came into the house came into the kitchen here and I had a um like a mental health team through work that's just always been on my phone never had to phone them before um and I I just made that call and when I reflect and think why or how did I do that I think there was two things I think one suicide has hit my family before um before this happened so we've talked a lot about suicidal thoughts where you go for help right from when the kids you know can understand and having those doors and open doors and windows open and ready so that if that happens you almost automatically know what you need to do
0: like a preventative measure sort of thing like have the numbers in the in your phone already as a preventative
1: yeah. And yeah. just know that, that you can make that call. And I did the same for work. I talked about mental health and well-being. That was part of my job. Um, ironically, <clears throat> the week before this happened, I was at a mental health awareness session <laughs> and I was sat there for the first time, almost on the other side thinking, I'm not okay. I'm not, I'm not okay. And I remember having to get home from London Bridge, which was horrific, all the thoughts going through my head. So I think those two things of knowing and talking about it so much before, when it came to me, I never thought I would be in that position ever uh, to actually feel that low, especially when I know how it feels to be on the other side when somebody takes their life. But when you are depressed, you are depressed. And when you have those thoughts, they just come. So it's knowing those Doors and uh, doors and windows are there open for you, like your own mental health nine nine nine. I always say, Mm. and I think maybe that's what it was—just that inner ingrained.
0: Yeah. So did did you start having therapy after that? Like, what 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 was the thing that helped you turn the darkness into the light, so to speak? So I was offered
1: antidepressants. That's what they always do, right? I didn't want to take them because they said they. Make me feel worse before I felt better, and so I just I felt like I feel yeah. Worse. yeah, I know that they work amazingly for some people, but for me, so I started taking CBD just as a um, just to see how it would go, and then I got put into cognitive behavioral therapy with my, <laughs> which always makes me laugh because uh, with my doctor Jean, who actually had a really nice French name, and I thought he was going to be really hot, and he wasn't. <laughs> he was like near retirement. But I went to see him and he was the game changer for me. Because and I didn't really get on with it to start with. Um I'd had therapy before because I'd had PTSD after my daughter. But so I knew kind of I had to just go in there and give my all that I couldn't hold back. But I wanted to go over everything. I wanted to go back over things. I wanted to blame myself. I wanted to go, you know, get deep and gritty. And he would not let me do it. He kept me very much in the present. We practiced a lot of mindfulness. We talked, obviously, but he gave me some really good tools, um, particularly around mindfulness and bringing in joy that tapped into me specifically. He still tried to make me do the weekly planner that you have to do it Cognitive behavioral therapy, and I said, oh, I was like, I'm never going to do that planner. Like, I wouldn't be doing that planner if I was not depressed. <laughs> like, I'm rubbish at timekeeping. But um, he kept me in the moment, and he was the person that got me into creative writing. Um, I'd already, ri- I'd a- always written for work. Um, that was part of my job, and I dabbled with creative writing outside. But he sparked some joy in me. He was the I wouldn't have Jinja unhinged if it wasn't for him saying, "I think you should get on social media and talk about this stuff." Um, and of course, the biggest game changer from him was that two years after my surgery, he was the one that said, "I think this is related to your surgical menopause." Wow!
0: Thank God for Doctor Jean.
1: I know, right? And it's
0: so rare it as like well. The the that, mic- yeah, mic drop moment for him. Um, it's 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 quite rare for a, a guy to be just tuned into that too. Yeah,
1: so much so. And I wonder, I wonder back now whether or not that was his age. Was his wife maybe going through menopausal symptoms, and he'd recognised this? Were a lot of his clients, and he was starting to see a pattern. Yeah. And then, did he, in the background, we talked, we had talked about my surgery. We talked about obviously some of my health stuff.
0: Did he go away and make the connection? He might have done, yeah. And that's why I think it's so important as well for therapists to have a knowledge, at least a basic knowledge of menopause and the symptoms that are around it because of how much of the menopausal symptoms are mental health related. Um, You know, and so it's going to come up in therapy. All this stuff's going to come up in therapy. So that's really good. He sounds like he was a real catalyst for you to you know springboard yourself into this new version of you today with your creativity with your joy so uh, how much of that is how how much of refinding your joy was uh, like a training that you did you sort of have to put yourself through training to find joy or did it come quite naturally to you
1: i think it's definitely a practice i think when you're coming out of any depression Um, or anxiety or low confidence or anywhere that we don't want to be at it's relearning to find ourselves again it's relearning how do we find a new version of ourselves we're not the same as the person that we were I hear that so much I just want to be the person that I was I just want to be myself before menopause you're not that person anymore we've grown so much Um. So it's relearning that those new ways to build confidence, those new ways to bring in joy and it is practice and it is hard work. I've always been confident before I lost it. I was, you know, always the kid that was, you know, look at me. Um, But I had to relearn that in a new way of what was my purpose now? Why
0: had I gone through that and what was my purpose? And do you think sharing your story has given you that sense of purpose
1: yeah, for sure. I, I've i always believed storytelling is so powerful. And again, I had done it in my job previously um, to, you know, help people understand tricky conversations and, and tackle the subjects that we don't want to. But I didn't realise kind of how cathartic it was, not only for myself, but also for other people and the connection that it would make. So it started off sharing on Ginge uh, with mental health side and of course that page grew as I learned more and then of course connecting people more and more so it and that fuels that fuels the cycle because then you're like oh okay I'm not alone so I'm not going mad um people are resonating with this I just love dancing like a twat in my kitchen like that just fills me with joy um and if it can help somebody else I was like, oh, ding, 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 right, this is this is what we do. And um, and it's like with the book, I I, always, I was actually writing another book before I wrote this one, but it just felt like the right time that I couldn't quite get to all the DMs because there's so many to help people. So I was like, right, how do I bring that all together? And all the stuff that lights me up, one of them is journaling, writing, that was a game changer for me in getting better mm-hmm. and bring that together to help to help people so it kind of yeah I, it feels like it was meant to be That was yeah. a very long
0: time <laughs> no, that's great that's great um tell us about your book as well so it's called the rule uh menopause oh forgive me you tell me what the book is t- entitled it's
1: called um I've got it here actually my menopause my journal my rules
0: that's it I knew it had rules in the in it yeah my rules your rules <laughs> my own rules yeah okay so yeah. What's it like if I was to open the book? What does it look like? What's it got in it? How can I use the book?
1: Okay, so it's it's really different, I think, to other menopause books out there. The first biggest difference is that it combines my memoir, stories of others, helpful tips, which is out there, but with journaling. So the thing is, is we just don't write stuff out of our heads enough down onto paper. We keep it all up here. Or, sorry, I've got such a tickle. That's all right. Or we constantly are on our phones or we're leaving voice notes now, but we don't actually have that beautiful action of putting pen to paper. And I wanted to bring that cathartic kind of practice because it helped me so much to this. And not only have that, but where you can put all your notes in it from, you know, the doctors, you can write everything up when you want to, you can track your symptoms, but you can do it in a really empowering way. So there's realness in there, there's, you know, humour, of course, but there is that that journey through to the light to say, actually, you can really be a badass here, you can make your own rules, you build your own prescription for menopause, because we're all different, the experiences are all different, um, and you can make it your own, and it's super inclusive to all different types of metaphors, which, you know, was so important to me. But it's um, it's funky. It's got leopard print in, I mean, hello. That's your
0: signature, <laughs> isn't it? The leopard print, I signature. love it.
1: Um, I illustrated it as well. Um, so it's really kind of beautiful. Um, and it's, yeah, there's pages that I ask you to rip out and burn. Wow. Oh. Get, rid of, get rid of that shit that you don't want to... Um, that you could that you just shouldn't be holding up. There you go. I don't know if you can read. That. Here lie the here lie my fucks that I shall bear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I love how you said that's inclusive as well. Because I was wondering, with you going through a surgical menopause so young, did you often experience stereotyping? That, oh, you're too young Absolutely. for menopause.
1: I, I still do now, yeah. All the time, which surprises me because I'm like, I actually do look menopausal now. Um but yeah, all the time I still get it. You're too young for menopause, what do you know? Um, oh come back when you've you know, when you're a bit older. Not feeling represented in the media, um, or advertising for anything menopausal, not being seen by my doctor. <laughs> I've been told by my by AGP we are too young for menopause
0: I'm like read my notes come on um yeah wow all the time yeah okay so it's just something that you're obviously because it's happened to you you're incredibly passionate about and you want to change that you want to sort of wake people up make people more aware that this does happen I've got um a menopause course a menopause well-being practitioners diploma and I talk about the fact that you can be um a child and experienced menopause i think the youngest was like 11 years old of this girl experiencing menopause and people don't actually realize that that it's a thing i think it's the organization that supports young people going through early 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 menopause is called the daisy network um have That's you come right. across it
1: Yes, yeah, I know the DAISY Network well. So they support um, premature ovarian insufficiency or POI, as it's known when you go through an earlier menopause. Um, And they also do support surgical menopause as well.
0: Yeah, brilliant. It's brilliant for people to know that these organisations exist and that it's out there and that it's a thing and, and you're not alone. There will be other people going through what you're going through. So just want to circle back to something about the rules. What rules? Yes. I love this. What rules did you create for yourself to help support you through um just your mental health journey now that you're through and out the other side?
1: Oh, it's got such a good question. So my rules um, are definitely sit in the mess. Oh, for a while, allow it. Let's write that down. Sit okay. in the mess. Yeah, <laughs> life is messy. Um, it's always going to be messy. There's always going to be something that trips us up. Um, so sit in, sit in it, feel it, acknowledge it, um, let it through, and then let it pass and let it go. As much as you can. I know that's difficult to say, but, you know, you try to release um, whether that is, you know, burning a page, whether that is having therapy, whether that is sound healing, you know, finding your way to tap into yourself, your mind, body and soul, really. So that's one of yeah that's probably one of my key ones because we can't move forward until we acknowledge what's going on.
0: Yeah, I love that because very often we try and bypass the mess or try and tidy up the mess quickly or try and fight against the mess or be superwoman or superperson and just like um have all our bits together and then we feel bad if we don't if the kitchen's a mess if the bed's not made if We've forgotten to send a birthday card or something. It's like this this heavy burden that starts weighing our spine down. And actually, you know, life is not perfect; it's very messy. Life can be extremely mm-hmm. messy, and I think it's just allowing yourself to be in that. It's so it's quite liberating, and that's that's the essence of what I get from your social page, your Instagram page. Is this like liberation? You know, that's how I feel when I look at some of your reels. I'm like, fuck it. I'm liberated now. (laughs) It's just great. Yeah, that's so nice. And I'm so
1: glad it comes across like that. I mean, I still lose my shit. I still am a mess. I still have a 50th birthday card for my brother who lives in New Zealand and he's 55 in February. He's actually just moved to Singapore. That's like, And I'm like, oh, sorry, I finally sent it to Australia. He's never going to get that card. I wrote it out. Like my life is still you know a shambles really I don't have my shizzle together but it's being fierce within that you know I always talk about be fierce and that doesn't necessarily mean be everything be resilient all the time be the badass woman be the feminist be the it it doesn't mean that it means be fierce in yourself know who you are. I know I'm a mess. I know that I can go and, you know, speak to a thousand people like the best of them and be super confident. And, um, you know, and then I know the next day I'll be on my backside and probably, you know, crying over not being a particularly great mum that day. It's just, that's life and that is living and we've got to feel all of it. Um, and that's how with this, and that's how we can be empowered in ourselves.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. So I, I, I was going to ask you for a definition of being fierce, but I've extracted that. It's know who you are and embrace who you are, like really know who you are. What do you stand for? What do you value? Um And then feel all of it. So I'm going through this process at the moment, I've just finished a space holding certification and it's all about letting there be pain. And when you're holding space for someone, you allow whatever is within them, whatever, whatever wants to be known, to be seen, to come out, to emerge. And then you just create like a a container for that to bounce around, do what it needs to do, dissipate, just be expressed, essentially, and, and just be felt, because I think we live in this really heroic culture, where everything needs to be overcome. And so, I think it takes great bravery to sit in the shit, you know, to sit in all of that pain and puddle for a little bit and actually accept how you feel. But then it's about what do we do with those feelings? And I love how you've created something from those feelings. You've actually uh, transformed it. You've you've alchemized all of that pain that you experience and turned it into a book, you know, your speaking events, your brilliant Instagram account that helps other people. Is there anything else that you're doing in your life and career to uh, to mutate these feelings?
1: <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I think I'm at capacity. Um, no, that keeps me pretty busy. I, um, I I should be blogging, but I'm not because I'm just shit. You know, I'm not cheer writing I'm just crap at organizing blogs um social media takes up a lot of my time because it's not only creating what the output is but it's the support in the dms in the background and I spend a lot of my time talking to people all over the world uh probably a little bit too much time to be honest (laughs) my poor husband laying next to me asleep and I'm like um uh but I am starting to write another book now um so I'm sort of focusing some energy onto that to see what 2024
0: brings mm. oh I can't wait to look out for that and just before we finish then uh there's loads of questions here that I haven't asked you because I've just been so engrossed in in hearing about you and just going off the cuff how do you support your wellness today uh nature
1: so getting out the dog walk will happen the weather was awful yesterday so today it's a little bit better here I live right by the beach so um we'll get out uh, for a beach walk I'll also make sure that I check in with my friends today so I've got a couple of calls um this afternoon that we because we just haven't caught up um and yeah enjoy enjoy the day as it is so there's not too much on my agenda um normally we'd be at rugby tonight but that's finished for Christmas so that's quite good so just yeah enjoy the evening mm. whatever it brings Christmas film.
0: Um, yeah, a few chocolates, I'm sure. Oh, that's lovely. And then what's, what's the one thing you would love the younger generation to know about menopause going forward?
1: What would I like them to know? Uh, it's going to happen. <laughs> it it's, uh, I think get clued up on what your body is capable of. In both how it's going to change, how menopause affects different people, because it can hit at different times, as we know, and to know that it isn't all bad. um, You know, there is this huge fire that erupts in us when we go through this change, whether it is forced change through surgery, like I had, whether it is POI, or whether it is perimenopause and completely at the time that it should be at. Every body that I speak to or the majority feel this stir and it's changing them that happens and it disrupts something and there is this fierceness that comes and I do believe that that we kind of step up and that's why I talk about stepping into queenhood that it's like yeah come on so it's it's not it's the end of a lot but it's also the beginning of so so
0: much more so it's not to be feared. Oh, that's so lovely. What a beautiful note to finish on. Thank you so much, Victoria, for sharing your story so openly and all all your gifts. And, uh, you know, positive slant and the realness that you have as well. I think people really relate to it. So thank you so much. And I'll put all your links in the show notes, your website, your book. Go grab the book. I'm going to get a copy of the book. I've just started journaling now, actually. And something I did want to bring up. Yeah, it's great. It looks amazing. Um, I was listening to Andrew Huberman, who was talking about the power of putting pen to paper and that it's evolutionary. Our brain recognizes pen to paper as a process rather than thumbs typing out thumbs on a screen um, it it has a much more powerful impact it's more transformational than typing or thumbing something on our phone so brilliant excuse to go and buy a nice new journal I think or your book of course (laughs) all right Victoria lots of love oh thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and I would love to know what your biggest takeaways were. If you're listening on Spotify, you'll notice that you can interact with me now using the Q&A tab at the bottom. Or as always, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Mentor, Or you can email me info at sallygarozzo.com. Or even better, drop me a message on WhatsApp. You can find a direct link to my WhatsApp in the show notes. Now, in a world where you could be listening to anything, I just want to acknowledge you and your drive for better health and well-being. I see you and I acknowledge you. Remember, if you're liking these podcasts and you really believe in getting the word out there about menopause, midlife and mental health, then please subscribe, leave a review on Apple Pods or you can help to support the running cost of this podcast by buying me a coffee. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Sally Garozzo. Your support means that we get to reach out to more people who need to hear this message. And happy people means a happy world. Your interaction might very well help to save another person's sanity. And finally, did you know I have another podcast too? It's called What the Bleep is Behaviour Change Anyway? In this podcast, you'll be privy to peppery conversations between me and my super-duper nerdy friend, Serena Simmons, who's a chartered psychologist and behavior change expert. In this podcast, we talk about what it really takes to make changes, plus we throw in a few quirky personal stories of our own. So if you want to create long-lasting, healthy change in your life, come on over to What The Bleep Is Behavior Change Anyway. All right, folks, thank you so much for your support. It really means the world. Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye.